0: Morning church. Fantastic to have you here this morning. If you do have your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for God in heaven, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you that we have the, the privilege and the honor to sing and praise your name, to freely come before your word, and to be changed and transformed by the working of your spirit in our lives. Lord oh God, we thank you for your son Jesus, who is the reason that we gather Who is everything that we need and everything that we desire and is freely given to us? Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready and willing to hear what you would have to teach us this morning through the words of Habakkuk. In your precious Son, Jesus' name, Amen. Again, Habakkuk 2. We'll be looking at 12 to 20, 12 to the end of the chapter. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink, who pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation, and he will he will make speech when he will make speechless idols, excuse me. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake and to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Again, Holy Spirit, we ask that your presence would be known and felt here. We would hear your teaching and your guidance. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, today we're picking up Part two of, part two of Habakkuk, sort of. Said last week as we picked up the first two of these five woes, that this is likely a a different point in Habakkuk's ministry. In chapter one to two five, we see we see kind of this conversation, this back and forth between uh, Habakkuk and God, and then we have a very a very obvious and blatant tone change in how things are going to these woes. A couple things by way of of reminder, if you were here last week, you're going to just be reminded this week uh, of how we need to approach these woes. The the woes here in Habakkuk are are not different from the woes of the rest of of the Old Testament. A woe is, in in as simple terminology as possible, a, a kind of a statement of judgment against a particular action or a particular group of people because of a particular action. And as as we see these woes, we note that voice wise or who they're who they're coming from voice wise is is the righteous amongst the people of Israel. But we don't ever think that the statements that are being made are coming from the people, but are rather coming from God. So Habakkuk, he's speaking for the righteous people in the midst of the of uh, the people of Israel on behalf of God. A woe statement or or uh, a, a statement of judgment against another person is only ever from the voice of the Lord, not from us. Also, to remind ourselves of what the first two woes were all about, as we jump into the last three the last three woes. The first two, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, theft. Woe to him who takes things that aren't his. And woe to him who gets gain for evil gain for his house. Now, what we'll find different about this week's woes versus last week's woes is that last week's woes are fairly easy to see. don't need too much explanation to know what he's saying when he says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Maybe you need the definition of the word heaps, but I doubt it. He's taking what's not his. It's not complicated. It's quite simple. And it's something that we all recognize happens. People steal stuff. and Some people are better at stealing than other people. The Babylonians... They were very good at stealing things. They were very good at taking things by force. A little bit a little bit more complex, but really not that much more complex, was the second woe, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Builds a name for himself, right? Again, this is something that is probably part of our human nature. We want to be important, and we want everybody else to know that we're important. Just ask us, we'll tell you. Today, we're going to look at three more woes. And these woes, while they're not any more complex, take just a little bit more time to understand them. They're not quite as as obvious. I think once we kind of stop just a second and think about them, I think they become obvious, but nonetheless, it takes just one more step. Woe number three, verse 12 Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Now, perhaps our initial reaction, because we're thinking of the context of the Babylonians conquering the world, and to conquer the world, that typically means you have to take life, which means you spill blood. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, who's killing people. But I don't think that that's necessarily what it is, mostly because of verse 13. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire, and the nations weary themselves. What this woe is about is about slavery. The people of Babylon, as did every single nation that has ever conquered the known world, including Great Britain, by the way, enslaved people. Most particularly the people that they conquered. You, You have been defeated, now you belong to me. You're going to work for me for free. Or for such a little amount that it might as well be free. And you have no choice. You have no option. Now, I'm going to make a statement and I I've, I've said this before and I want you to I want you to hear me until the end because if you stop listening, I'm not saying what I'm saying. In Rome, in Rome, the system of slavery often benefited the people who were part of it. Now, the reason that this is true is because you were only enslaved for a time you were eventually freed after a certain amount of time in slavery according to the system not necessarily the practice when man gets power we abuse it this is why hands down bar none there is no exception to the rule slavery is wrong and bad even when according to the system it can be a benefit in Rome Many people you would sell your child into slavery because that meant that after a certain amount of time when they were freed they actually moved up the social ladder. If you were not a citizen and you had a child who was not a citizen of Rome, you sold them into slavery when they were freed as as when they were freed slaves, when they were freed men, they became citizens of Rome, which is a step in the right direction. And so in order to in order to advance your child you right That is not the problem that Habakkuk is talking about. And I want to make myself clear here. I want to make sure this gets across. Because in no situation, even in that, is slavery okay. Because man always, always, always corrupts the system. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the violence that happens whenever humans get involved. See, we, we might notice something from last week's two. Last week's two woes. It's not about the wealth that the Babylonians are accumulating, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are probably three of the wealthiest people to have ever lived, period. Egypt says to 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 Abraham at one point Egypt the nation of Egypt you're getting too big for us you need to leave a nation says that to an individual a nation by the way that still exists today it's not about the wealth it's about what what it takes to get to that wealth it's about the undermining or the or the defeating or the the conquest of other people in order to gain that wealth. <coughs> the same thing is true for gaining status for your house. It's at right, the detriment of others. It's the same thing that's happening here. It's not that you've built a city using people who you've conquered. Although we probably can make an argument against that. That's not what the woe is about though. It's about the violence. It's about the abuse of the power. It's about undermining and, and, and crushing other people in order to build a city. Now, here's what I want you to hear. We look at human history, we as Americans look at American history, and we say we've defeated slavery. Because most of us as Americans, the only thing that we think of when we think of slavery is the South. Slavery is alive and kicking hard today sadly in this country now I'm going to give you just two statistics two numbers and I'm doing so very very purposefully I'm going to give you minimal numbers because I want you I want you to go online and I want you to look it up I could talk about just this one thing for months but I don't know if that necessarily helps us. It's estimated there's about 40 million people who are enslaved in the world today. Forty million. About 25 million of those as adults in physical labor slavery. Another 15 million or so in marriage slavery. In addition to those numbers, to that 40 million, it's estimated that about 150, 150 million children are in what we would classify as slavery in jobs. You know, we thought we did this great justice in, in America by freeing the slaves. But you know what we did? We just enslaved them in different ways. We created environments where you would go into a business and you probably have have harsher and more more wicked working conditions and for really very little more pay than you got whenever you were a slave. At least there, you had a roof over your house that was provided by your owner. We as Christians have not solved the problem. I'm going to say that again. We as Christians have not solved the problem of slavery in the world. And that should be something very serious to our hearts. Now, I'm going to give some Christians some credit here. The vast majority of the time when abolition happened, it happened because Christians stood up and would not go away. If you've never read the book Amazing Grace, a story of Wilbur William, Wilbur William, Wilbur, 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 I can't say it now. Thank you. You need to read it. Passionate for his entire life fighting against slave slave trade all over the world. was a Christian man and did so based on his Christian morals. And I think we see a passion in our text today that we should share. I'll say this again when we get to the fifth woe, but whenever in the Old Testament in particular, in the Hebrew Bible. Whenever a pattern is created and then it's broken, you need to pay attention. Last week we saw in in, uh, woe one, the consequence of your stealing from others was that others would eventually steal from you. It was a, a script flipped. And then the second woe, When you make a name for yourself, you build this high nest up on high to protect yourself. What happens? The stones that you built your house with will eventually cry out against you. The script is flipped. But that is not the pattern in this third woe. It's not that the slaves will rise up against you. There is a new enemy, if you bear with me here. It says, Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts. God has absolutely nothing to do with slavery. People who fought against slavery heard these words very seriously. It's just not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations. Weary themselves for nothing For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know what he's saying there? The consequences for allowing slavery and to be enslaving others is the enemy of God. The slaves will not rise up. That's not what you should fear. Maybe you should fear that, but that's not. Can anybody imagine a more terrifying enemy than God? No. Now there's a very serious reason why this this pattern gets broken. Because I think this is one of the places that God cares very deeply. From start to finish in Scripture, there there is a message that resounds really above almost everything else. God is for the oppressed. And his people shall be too. Everything that we should do should revolve around our taking part in God's part in protecting those who can't protect themselves. We should be very serious. Now, I wish I had answers. I wish I had answers. I wish I even knew where a lot of this slavery was happening. I wish I knew more organizations that were part of a fight against it. They are there. We just have to find them. One of the first things that happened in the North, excuse me, when abolition really started coming to the United States, which by the way, it happened a lot sooner than the Civil War, but it started a lot sooner than the Civil War, was that people in the North just didn't buy tobacco. They boycotted things where slavery was happening. It's something that we can do today. We should pay attention where our clothes are made. Where our phones are made. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. This gets a little bit more confusing. How can we make our neighbors drink? Is that really what's? Is it really about the alcohol? I don't think it is. It says, woe to him who makes, who makes his neighbors drink too. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. I think what's going on here is, is not necessarily the problem of alcohol. It's, it's more a problem of, of comfort. Maybe that's not the right words, but follow me. When you live your, almost literally your entire life as an adult at war, and then you finally get the, the maybe freedom to relax a little bit, you find ways to find enjoyment in life. So when you're a leader, right? So, so just give you some time frame context here. Uh, Alexander the Great, what was it? 18 years, is that right? It took him to conquer the known world? Is that right? I, I tried to find it and I couldn't really find it. It's very fast. By the time he was 30, yeah. Crazy fast. Everything else, everybody else who conquered the world did so over a period of decades, right? Oftentimes from a father to a son to a grandson. So your whole life is spent at war constantly nervous that somebody's going to come and kill you. And then you get some sense of of freedom and what do you do you go okay i'm going to enjoy myself a little bit and, and, and in the ancient world where there wasn't as many places to to make foolish decisions and have fun you got drunk you started drinking now in today's society we can we can what what, what? let's let's list off about 10 of them and barely scratch the surface i'm not going to list 10 of them we could drink we could do drugs we can seek power. We can seek money, right? And it, in this in this age of politicians, we all know the politicians who said whenever they started, they were all, "Gung, I'm going to go and change the system. I'm going to go in, and then somebody offered them money when they got there, and they went, oh, that's kind of nice. I guess I'll I guess I'll sacrifice a little bit of my of my morals for this.'" So when you find some sense of comfort, you find some sense of power, you, you abuse it. Or, and, and not even that you abuse it, but you you start to, you start to allow other things to, to cover your smart decision-making abilities. Now, it doesn't take too much effort to think through this. but Imagine you have a general who's sober and a general who is drunk. Which one do you want leading the charge? Sober man, right? Because what happens? He's making good, rational, thought-out decisions, but drunk general, he's not. And in the effects of his drinking, we call drunkenness, the effects of his drinking trickle down to those he's in charge of. So this is what he's saying, right? This is what he says. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drunk drink excuse me and you pour out your wrath and make them drunk you make decisions in your drunkenness and that affects the people who you are who you are supposed to be leading properly in order to gaze at their nakedness in order to see their shame this i think Maybe it doesn't seem like it affects us as much today, but I think this is probably the the first one that we should take notice of. See, because we allow so many things to make us drunk. Maybe it's not alcohol and bad decisions based on our drunkenness. Maybe it's not drugs. The power goes to our heads to where we only start thinking of what is benefiting me. Uh-oh, there it is again. It's not about it's not about finding some sense of happiness and joy in your in your difficult life. It's about the detriment of others. And then verse 16 notice notice it says you will have your fill. You will have you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. I a room full of adults. I don't need to explain circumcision. But what he's saying there is that's nakedness. There it is again. The script is flipped. There's that pattern again. We went back to our pattern. Smack dab in the middle, we broke the pattern because God cares deeply about those who can't take care of themselves. We jump back to this pattern the cup of the Lord's right hand. How do you get drunk? You drink out of a cup. Utter shame will come upon you. Verse 17 shows me, at least in some small part, that this isn't just about drunkenness. It's violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. These are the ramifications of poor decision-making because you thought that you were allowed to find joy over protecting and leading your people. Then our fifth woe. Remember how I said that uh, when in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, a pattern is is made and then it's broken? Pay attention. A pattern has been established that each one of these woes starts with one phrase. Woe to him. Until number five. He breaks the pattern. He says, what? What is what, what prophet is an idol? What prophet is an idol? When its maker has shaped it. A metal image, a teacher of lies, for it make its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. This this is this is Habakkuk going, Do you know how incredibly foolish it is to think that a thing that you made is actually the thing that made you? We live in a society where, where Satan has told us we don't have idols because we don't make them. Isn't that silly? Aren't we just as foolish? I think we are. See, in the ancient world, it was obvious. What is an idol that you're worshiping to? Because you made it and it looked like something, and then you set it down and you bowed down in front of it. And you worshiped it. You said, oh, you're so important and you're so wonderful and you're such a... Um, yeah." But what are some of the things that they worshiped in the ancient world? They worship what? Crops, fertility? The earth producing food to eat? They worship mammon, right? Can't see can't serve both God and mammon Jesus says in the New Testament. It's the God of money. But nobody in the, nobody today worships money, do they? Do they? Do we see what what's what's so silly about it is that we've actually become so we've been, we've become so arrogant and so foolish to think that we're any different to think that that any of the things that we build up in front of us and largely we have more. There are more things today that we can place our trust and our hope in than there was in the ancient world. And we think that there's no idols. There most certainly is. Fill in the blank on anything, anything in your life that you have thought, I will be okay because of this. That, my brothers and sisters is an idol. You just haven't personified it. Up until this point, we've been talking about things that are sinful. Obviously sinful and wrong. And we go at the detriment of others. It's it's horrible that you would steal and take life so that you can have more money or more status or more slaves. But this is just foolishness, right? An idol. It's just foolish to think that anything besides God can truly protect and watch over me, right? Wrong. It says, Woe to him. Judgment to him who says, says to a wooden thing, Awake. It's not just about foolishness, it's sin. And dare I say, the pattern has been broken. It's not that the script is being flipped here. It's not even that woe to him has come. He's doubling up on the pattern breaking. This is the point that Habakkuk is trying to make. Remember last week when I said whenever we hear our friend or our brother or somebody else being scolded, we should listen closely? Let's listen closely. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, a stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is still no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. I don't know if you maybe didn't hear me. Didn't sound like you heard me. The Lord is in his holy temple. We put our trust and our hope in worthless things, in images of worthless things. but god he's there hmm. you know i have this conviction about the bible i've said this before so it's not new information i've said is that the whole the whole of the whole of scripture is what we call christotelic it's it's always going towards Christ. I've been using this phrase to pick it. Let's pick up the thread and, and take a journey down. I, mean, I said that the last couple of weeks, because it, to to picture this just for a second, Scripture is like a string. It's like a it's like a cord. Cord make up made up of many different pieces and parts that make the whole thing. The gospel is is simple and complex at the same time. And it doesn't just start in Matthew. The message of Scripture starts in Genesis. And it traces through through the whole of Scripture. And so especially when we're in the Old Testament, I have to ask myself one particular question as I'm preparing my sermons. Where is the thread to Jesus? Last week, I said, let's pick up the thread and let's take it to to Revelation chapter 19. When Christ will return and he will set all these things right. When these woes will be finally and fully completed. When wickedness and injustice and brokenness will will be eradicated by the justice of God. And that's great. But that's not all of it. And I was thinking this week, and I and I was like, where, where is the thread? Where is the thread? Where is the thread? And then all of a sudden, verse 20 smacked me in the face. Max, you hit, hit on it this morning in communion. You do not live abandoned until some future date. I read this verse, I read that, but the Lord is in his holy temple. And the thing that immediately came to my mind, as vivid as if I saw it in real life, was the beaten and bloodied and crucified Jesus on the cross. When we say that the Lord is in his holy temple, that's the first image that should pop into our minds. The God who came into this world despite the fact that each and every one of us let me say this again despite the fact that each and every one of us is this Babylon. We are wicked and vile people. Unchecked by God we will always, always, always end up Babylon. But Christ Christ came and shed his blood and freed us he shed his blood and and released us from the bondage he is in fact the ultimate check the lord is in his holy temple His holy temple. What is his holy temple? There isn't even a temple. Max said it. It's each one of us. He's in each one of us. And he's not just sitting around doing nothing. He's he's actively changing and transforming us through the power of his spirit that dwells in us. We are no longer tied and bound to this brokenness. We are, in fact, being changed and transformed by His work. We are no longer bound to these woes. Amen. We are, we are something else. But wait, Ryan, it sure seems like. Babylon still exists today. Maybe not in the same form it did back then. Sure looks like there's wicked and evil in this world. Where's God now? Where is he? Turn your head to your right. Turn your head to your left. Maybe look behind you and in front of you. Where is Christ? He's here. He's in us. He's changing the world. He's changing how we live this life. I said it earlier, there is a reason why Christians were the first and most vocal and the most passionate people about eradicating slavery on this earth because they were being transformed by the blood of Christ. And we are too. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for saving us, for rescuing and redeeming us, for transforming us and working in your creation. Through us. We praise and honor you. We lift up your name on high. Oh God, we thank you and we praise you. For Jesus. By Jesus. And through Jesus. In Jesus' precious